The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Dang it, Will, I can't find Dead Cow International on any of these sectionals. Okay, moving right along now. Man, the punchline is... Oh, hey, hey, we're recording. Uh, This is Will. And this is Dave. From the Pilot's Flight Podlog. Jack's favorite tongue twister of a podcast. And we'd like to congratulate Uncontrolled Airspace on their 100th episode. Here's to 100 more. Jack, Jeb, and Dave, you're doing a great thing. Keep it up. Hey guys, this is Dave Shellbetter, Sun and Fun Radio. Congratulations on your 100th episode. Keep up the great work. See you next year at Sun and Fun. Hey, UCAPers, congratulations on 100 wonderful episodes. Looking forward to many, many more. This is your hangar pal, James Winbrandt. Again, fantastic accomplishment. Love hearing the show. Love working with you guys. Congratulations. It's time for the 100th episode of Uncontrolled Airspace. Hey guys, Steve Tupper, um, known to many of you as Stephen Force of Airspeed. Jack, Jeb, Dave, congratulations on the 100th episode of the former No Name Aviation podcast. I reiterate my compliment from episode 5 or so about your grizzled pragmatism, and I restate my joy at seeing the little light come on next to the UCAP feed each week. Thanks for making the Podsphere a richer and more interesting place for all of us. And Jack, go get that tailwheel training. The people at your regular airport never need to know. Take care, guys, and here's to many, many more episodes of UCAP. Hey, this is Jason Miller from the Finer Points Podcast calling to congratulate the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast on episode 100. Woo-hoo! Way to go, guys. No pod spaces for the UCAP game. Hey, this is Tony Conan. Happy to finally make it onto the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast, and happy hundreds, guys. Hello, this is Bill Williams from the Student Pilot Cast. I want to congratulate the UCAP folks on hitting 100 episodes. What a milestone. The punchline in all of this is that you've done so much in only 100 episodes. But moving on, congratulations to all of you. I'm sure that the next 100 will be at least as informative and entertaining. Oh, yeah. Take a drink, Dave. Hi guys, this is Pilot Mike from Chicago. And I'm Pilot Dan, here in Connecticut. And this is Pilot Kent from Wisconsin, from the Pilot Cast. On behalf of us and the rest of the gang here at the Pilot Cast and the CFI Cast, we just want to wish a hearty congratulations to Jack, Jeb, and Dave on your 100th episode. You know, if we hadn't forgotten the patent this idea, you know it did that. And just for that, Mike is buying the lineys next time we see you guys. Is it okay to have a, a summer shanty uh, later in the year? I've been enjoying it all year long. Let me know. Here's to 100 more. Keep up the good work. So here's the deal. Um, about a little over two years ago, 
I sat down and and gave a lot of thought to making one of these really geeky decisions that that programmers tend to shock by that Jack but go ahead um, I spent a lot of time trying to figure something out um, and I went back and forth and trying to figure out the right way to do this and um, as of today that decision paid off the decision was to name the very first audio file I was trying to decide what I was going to name the audio files for our podcast that we were just about to do. We hadn't even done the first one yet. Or we'd done the first one and I was getting ready to upload it. Mm -hmm. And here was the big decision. The big decision was, should I call it episode 01 or 001? Ah, uh, I know be, where this is going. And being the geek programmer that I am, I, I had a lot of concern about, you know, if I made it, if I made it episode 01, then... I was going to build in our own little Y2K crisis. Should we ever, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Should right we ever now, huh? reach episode 100? And, uh, and today, today that decision pays off. Oh, because, my God. Because here we are. We've made it to episode 100. Well, Who I am. Congratulations. Mazel tov. Yeah. It's, Take uh, it's, a drink. It's, it's been a wild ride. I've been doing a lot of, uh, a lot of sort of maintenance and administrative stuff for the podcast. I had occasion to go back and look at the entire list of the title of every single episode. I'm just a just name, just making up all those different names is kind of impressive to me. It's uh, <laughs> uh, a, a lot of a lot of bizarre titles that we perfection with a K in the middle. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, but boo, all quite apropos. Boo freaking wah, matching you know? episode and you know? intriguing. Not too all bad intriguing. for operating in a vacuum. I'll say that. Yeah, I know. I know. It was pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So. Uh, we we heard at the beginning of this episode. We heard uh, this came totally out of the blue. We did not plan this. Um, this this really really touching uh, uh, little congrats from a lot of our fellow podcasters uh, that was put together by uh, Steve Tupper of Airspeed. And and first of all, I want to thank Steve and all of those fellow fellow podcasters for uh, their very kind very, very uh, humbling. And wonderful, very much appreciated, and yeah. maybe on the call, dude. Yeah, just yeah, that, that, was, nice. just that was very cool. And James, how did you get in there? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, Steve, Steve, the man forced Tupper, uh, sent me an email and told me what he was doing, and uh, asked if I could give a call and uh, leave a, a, a shout out and a congrats for this wonderful milestone, the hundredth podcast on his machine, and uh, then the rest is history. Well, thank and you for that, and thank, yeah. you to, thank you to all the podcasters, and thank you to Steve. It was really cool, yeah. and uh, um, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, Jack is speechless. What a concept, huh? Yeah, uh, it, uh, it 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 took me, you know, quite 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 away. Uh, the 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 great sentiments and the the effort that everybody put into it, and the fact that all of you out here that keep us doing this week after week uh, have hung with us and grown with us, and. Uh, Wow, holy cow, 100. 100, 100. So I did a little, uh, like I said, I was going back over the episodes. Here's a few little stats here. Um, in the first 99 episodes, we did uh, a little over 118 hours of podcasts. That's the, that's the hours that actually made it on onto the net. Uh, actually, each one is probably another wow. 30 minutes long as well. It's a, but 118 hours and 15 minutes. If you uh, do the arithmetic, that is 4.9 days. All right, it would take five wow. days, twenty-four hours a day. I don't know if I could handle 
sitting in a room with you guys for four point. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. And and every now and then we hear from listeners who say, I just discovered the podcast and I'm listening all the way from number one. And I go, whoa. It, and we never, and we never hear from that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So, uh, Fortunately, we've been allowed to get up for showers in between That's episodes. Right, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of daunting. It's it's very 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 real challenge for me because I'm actually trying to go back and listen to all the old episodes for a project that we're planning, and that's kind of. I hadn't actually done the math until the day, and I'm going, oh, my goodness, am I really going to listen to them all? That's going to take me a while. <laughs> yeah. But it's also, it is nice to know that if, uh, if it ever came down to it and you thought you were going to be busy in the future, you could take four days – sit in a cabin together and knock out two years of programming. That's right. It was one of Jeb's <laughs> long flights in the Debbie. You know. <laughs> so uh, the, the very first episode was 35 minutes long. Uh, the second one was 45 minutes long. And, and so a trend was established. Yeah, and then we never looked back <laughs> after that. And uh, and from then on, it was like, you know, up onward and upward. And they, uh, of course, they, they are seldom less than, than an hour 20 now. The longest one was an hour and 37 minutes long. It was number 84, Tornado Watch. And uh, Oh, that was oh, because... I that night, yeah. Yeah, we were, were getting kicked offline all the time. We had to go back and figure out what we were talking about. Yeah, that's right. Dave oh, yeah, disappeared yeah. at one point, and we thought, oh, my God, th tornado hit his house. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we... Right. we I was there. Through. Uh, There's and, one there now. Uh, I, wound up, I wound up doing it from the cell phone, standing at the door watching... Uh, the kind of weather that I found to, to never fly through again. <laughs> that's right. Man, wow. if all the windows would just hold. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> we've done them from a lot of interesting locations. Of course, we've done them from uh, Air Venture and Sun and Fun. That's a lot of fun. Um, we've uh, You guys have been on the road at uh, NBAA. Uh, where else have we done them? I've been traveling. I've, I did them from uh, from a, uh, a snuck into a conference room at Moscone Center during Macworld Expo one year to uh, to participate in the podcast. I did one from an FBO once. That's I've right. You did one from an FBO lobby. D J Dave, you did one from a coffee shop, right? Yeah, yeah. I did one from a coffee shop. I also did one from room two. Uh, I'm on room four hundred eight of Wesley Medical Center. That's right. I wasn't going right. to say anything, that's but right. since you, yeah, you're right. That's right. You were in the hospital one for one of them. Um, so that's uh, dedication, man. Yeah. That is. Yeah, now you talk that. about dedication. But, you, <laughs> know, it, it, you know, the 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 the, uh, the the break from the routine of stick open swallow stick open swallow uh, <laughs> well, was uh, you know kind of nice. And the nurse came in at one point, and and, and I muted the phone. And says, uh, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm doing a, an internet podcast." And she went from the hospital. I went, "Yeah." Uh, the show goes on. She goes, "I'll bring you a soda." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dad, James, you were on that one. I, I don't know if you remember yes. this, but that was uh, we, uh, we, we. That was very early on. That was like that was first episode, uh, first three months. Yeah, yeah that, episode four uh, or five or something like that. And uh, and and Dave got. Uh, had to have this medical thing dealt with yeah. and we were delayed and we were, we're kind of waiting around until Dave got back on his feet and then that wasn't working out and we thought Dave wasn't going to be able to join us at all and so we lined up James to fill in and, right, and it was like, like hardly, I can hardly fill those uh, 
That would yeah, shoot. But then, uh, but then Dave at the last minute was available, but from his hospital bed. So James was with us as well, and uh, that was that was an interesting one too. So there's been a lot of uh, of uh, interesting uh, episodes. Um, in a minute, I'm going to ask you if you have. Well, we've just talked about favorite moments. Maybe maybe we've done that, but uh, uh, maybe there's a, any other favorite moments to to wrap this up. One other stat I wanted to mention um, is that uh, in the past year. We've been inviting listeners um, uh, who are so inclined to make a cash donation to our tip jar, and 27 different people have made cash donations to the podcast, and we really, really appreciate that. It's uh, talk about being above and beyond the call. It's really not what we're all about here, um, but we do appreciate the... the, uh, oh, the could be all about that. Yeah, that's right. But we do appreciate the, the few dollars that uh, that we've managed to collect to help us buy a little more Avgas or, or Line and Kugel or, or whatnot. And, 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 uh, and this week only, if you donate so much, we will send you that public television handbag that we got last fun drive. Sure. That's right. So anyways, before, enough, before I say enough of this, we move on to the real uh, podcast. Uh, what, uh, any other favorite moments you guys have of the podcast? Any uh, uh, episodes or stories? or You know, I, I, the two of the, from talking to listeners, let me just speak on behalf of listeners, that two of the most popular stories s- segments um, have been, one was Amy telling her ditching story. Amy, that's, oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. whenever we talk to listeners, um, that almost always comes up in the conversation. And oddly enough, James, your cat flying your airplane. <laughs> well, you make it sound much more sensational than a cat flying the airplane. <laughs> but, It'd be uh, hard to resist when you put it that way. Yeah, so uh, um, those are I'm a couple very of... proud. I'm, I'm thrilled. Yeah. Well, so my, my all-time favorite is standing on the deck and actually interacting with some of our listeners at Oshkosh this year. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, they were, they, was, when they were down on the on the ramp, you mean down yep, there on the, on yep, the flight line? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, that kind of matches my. You know, when it comes to naming favorite, uh, it's actually a collective rather than yeah. an individual, and that's been those times when we were face to face with uh, people like at Sun and Fun and Oshkosh when Jeb and I sat down with uh, Ed Boland at NBAA last sure. year. Face to face over copious amounts of coffee because it was like seven in the morning. It was so dark early. Ugh. Yeah, I was on I was on a phone across town with you guys. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, uh, the uh, uh, oh, doing it from weird locations like the coffee house and all that stuff. But uh, uh, and I'm still denying for the day when I'm stuck at a little airport with Wi-Fi. Yeah, or but, yeah. I go to a little airport with Wi-Fi and I sit there and do it. I'm looking forward to the day when I can do one from the breakfast at Ponca City. You, yeah, know, you, you mentioned uh, you know being there at NBAA and, and Ed Bolin, and uh, also that that same cast, Tom Poperesny came on Tom and was joined on the you guys, and it's, right. he would have been there in person if uh, yeah. it not been for some circumstances that uh, prevented it. But he yeah. showed, joined us by phone. So. Uh, yeah, we've had a lot of great friends join us in the podcast over the first 99, and, uh, you know, more and more, I think, we're going to do, we, 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 we enjoy doing that, and we're going to try and do even more of that in the second 100, so. I, th- um, I think that, that first one we did, well, the, I'm sorry, last year's Oshkosh, Oshkosh finale. Yes. The, yeah. Our first time out on the deck there, looking at the flight line, uh, I'll, I'll never forget that one. Uh, and and one, one, one we did recently, uh, where we got on the riffs about the wing walkers. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that was just funny. It was a good. It was a good episode all the way around. Yeah, 
Yeah, that was a great one too. <laughs> and the outdoor, the, the outdoor sun and fun ones, and that first one where suddenly we've got Barry Valentine and yeah. and Dale Clapmeyer yeah. and Craig Barnett and just yeah. you know, for some reason I don't remember all of the sun and fun episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we won't tell the listeners the we'll why, out. but I'm guessing they can figure it out. Uh, yeah. Anyways, it's been great. Uh, we're not done yet. Uh, we're going to keep going on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks to you guys and all my friend, all of our friends who have participated in the podcast uh, over the years. And uh, you know, let's let's we know who you are, and we know where you are. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so thanks with that, to all the gang that uh, that conspired to put together that video, Steve and uh, Dave Shawbetter and uh, Pilot Will and Dave and uh, Jason and Tupper and she yeah. many Christmas. Uh, yeah. Just amazingly uh, humbling. Thanks. And, Very cool thing. And cool. as uh, you know, I have to give uh, my props to the primary hangar tenants here, that being uh, you three guys. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Dave and Jack, uh, congratulations. It's, uh, it's just incredible. You've really... I uh, created something amazing, and I enjoy listening to them when, you know, uh, certainly when I'm not on them. And uh, it's just great that, uh, See, now that, that you've been able to keep this going. I don't even listen to us when I'm not on <laughs> Right, right. Well, that's, you, know, you already know what's on it, so you don't have to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, but you never really know. You never know how Jack's going to edit it all down. That's right. There's a You'd lot of surprise. A lot of trust surprised. here. A lot of trust. You know, he, he could turn my voice into some high pitched, squeaky thing, you know, like a Sarah like Palin a, voice or something. Like That's on right. epi- episode 33A. That's right. You, you, Jeb, you obviously haven't listened to the podcast lately, have you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, wonderful. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> Welcome, folks, to episode 100 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on Thursday evening, September 18th, 2008. And uh, I think I already have, but let me say hi to all my friends here in the virtual hangar. Dave Higgins out there. Dave's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. Hey, everybody. Jeb, Jack, James, and Amy. Alphabetically, I should have put you first, girl. Hey, but uh, what a treat to have us all together and uh, and still somewhat uh, together. Yep, that's right. And Jeb Burnside, you're down in Sarasota, Florida, right, Jeb? Down in Sarasota, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, good good evening, everybody. Um, uh, what Dave said. Is uh, <laughs> it rain there lately? Have been any hurricanes? No. No, it's quiet. It's quiet down there. I lately. think Wichita got more hurricane than than we did. Yeah, I know. I know. I guess we're going to talk about the hurricane in a few minutes, so oh, we'll come back to that. James Winbrandt's out there, and he's talking. About, you're in the Big Apple, right? You're at home in New York City. I right, am. James? I am. And good evening to all. It's great to be here in the hangar, and hello to everyone. Yeah. And Amy Loboda from Fort Myers, Florida. Hi, Amy. Hi, how are you? We're uh, right in the middle of a big red splotch, if you're looking at your National Weather Service radar. Oh, no. So uh, I warn you in advance. Ah, okay. You could disappear at any moment. Huh? That's and right. I'd rather get slimed than get splotched. That's right. And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm up here at UCAP World Headquarters in Dover, New Hampshire. So, uh, uh. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, for 100 straight times, it's all his fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's me. That's me. 
So let's see now, news of the day here. Uh, you know, I posted this one quite some time ago. I haven't even looked at the link in a while, but there was some more news on this uh, Heathrow 777 sort of just barely landed crash landing, one that landed short. And um, th- now they're walked, saying everybody walked away. Everybody walked away. It was it was it was in that regard a good landing. Um, um, that's the one where the engines just uh, wouldn't spool up or spool down or whatever um, on on medium to short final. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are they saying now that uh, the, the the story that caught my attention was a new story that said there might have been ice in the fuel. I had a hard time with that though because they put all kinds of additives into the jet fuel to keep ice out. So when they got gas in China, was it contaminated that bad? Well, there's always, you know, one of the reasons they have to put this these anti um, antifreeze basically uh, into jet fuel is there's a high water content. It, the, uh, the kerosene, which is really what jet fuel is, does absorb water, and uh, uh, one of the reasons they uh, uh, have these uh, all these different additives is to try to make make sure that water does not freeze. I don't know if. The heaters in some of these some of these jets have uh, kind of a heating element that heats the fuel as it flows from the tanks to the engines. I don't know if the heaters. I don't know if even though the triple seven was equipped with heaters, um, but basically the, the somewhere in the fuel system, so enough ice crystals formed to prevent an adequate flow of fuel to both engines. It blocked the the fuel lines essentially, and uh, the engines didn't flame out, but they couldn't accelerate either. So there was insufficient pressure for them to meet the higher demand Mm -hmm. that both the flight director called for through the auto throttle, and then the pilots call for manually. And the trick here is apparently the uh, the fuel in that triple seven got colder than typical. Right on right. the flight that it made, uh, you know, it was an right. over-the-top polar cap flight, uh, very high altitude and very slow fuel flows, very mm-hmm. low fuel flows because of how relatively, high they were. Relatively low. Yeah, f- you know, for for the speed they were making, because I believe they were getting uh, mostly a push along the route, uh, minus twenty nine Celsius. <laughs> Yeah. The fuel got to minus twenty nine Celsius, and somewhere along the fuel, the system. It's like plummet. your basic Oshkosh winter, right? Uh, anyway, the, uh, the the fuel got super cold, and low fuel flows, and apparently in that aircraft's fuel system, uh, between it leaving the tank and getting to the uh, inlet pressure pumps that pump the stuff into the uh, combustion chamber fuel in a combustion chamber there's a preheater mm-hmm. on the engine to warm the fuel back up so that it flows properly and the question that arose from the british investigators was whether the design of that preheater in the fuel lines was sufficient to keep the temperature in the fuel lines from dropping to the point where the additive was ineffective or was it far enough upstream in the fuel system well, they've got two different theories, apparently, yeah, that yeah. they are looking at. One has to do with, they say, well, it's just kind of the inlets were blocked. And they say it'd have to be blocked 95%. So does that mean that it could operate on just a 5% fuel flow at those low fuel flows? Was it that low that it didn't kind of flame out or, or lose power till they tried to go full power? The second no, the is fire, that actually... The fire never went out. That's right. Right. So... I don't see how, you know, that sort of the, could be 95% blocked 
and yet they never noticed it until they went to full power. The other, I guess, theory is that ice somehow accumulated in different parts of the uh, the plumbing, and then when they demanded the full fuel flow, it all came loose and clogged it. Some, you know, downstream area. Yes. Yeah. So, well, you know, the upshot the of this is keeping the fuel warm. Yeah. yeah. The the upshot here is. Uh, uh, I don't know if this is an actual requirement now or if they're just, just toying with this idea, but the story we're reading from uh, avweb.com says, as a result, Boeing 777 pilots will be required to cycle the thrust of their engines, maximum thrust for 10 seconds prior to descent, to clear the system of ice before landing, and vary their altitudes en route when fuel in the main tanks is below 10 degrees Celsius for more than three hours. I like the it's the maximum thrust for ten seconds uh, on on descent part that I like. Clearing the engine of a Cessna one fifty when you're out doing uh, um, power off landings, emergency landings. Really? Yeah. 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 Well, when they say change altitudes, are they saying to to get it above that temperature? I mean, they don't. Yeah, I don't. I mean, if you're if you're really if you're specified, but I think that's the implication. If you're oh, four okay, five well, zero, you go to four seven zero. I don't know. If that's do a whole lot. Of yeah, that's not going to yeah, solve so, anything. So I'm not. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Then I don't know what's going on there. You would think yeah, you would say it, that if, they, if they're sending you to a higher altitude, that's going to involve adding power. And uh, James, they're counting on you that. would think they're going to spell it out, but they don't always spell it out. No, they huh. don't like to spell things out because if they're spelled out incorrectly, then that mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's them. And right now you have this whole. Well, they didn't interpret it properly out mm-hmm. for the FAA or right. for the British authorities in this case. Yeah. But anyways, it, yeah. But it, it, the lesson for us GA pilots is stay down where your fuel doesn't freeze. Yeah, don't fly where it's tw- minus 22 oh, Celsius. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. That's almost all of us. Yeah, that's right. That's well, right. Another you lesson can't... is don't reduce power unless you know you have the runway made. That's true. Well, there's that too. Nice gradual reduction of power so you don't have to bring it back in. Well, this may come up more because the uh, the uh, airline industry is looking at something that uh, uh, UPS is already implementing in its Louisville operation, yeah. and that's using a computer program in conjunction with individual aircraft's ADSB in and out capabilities, right? To actually instruct uh- the aircraft in whether to slow down or speed up to maintain a certain entrail to maximize the runway acceptance rate. And at the same time, they're trying to do this at a, fl- at a flight idle power setting so that it's a glide all the way down and thus saves Boku fuel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. this, you know, if this gets adopted widespread, we could have a lot of airliners coming down from really cold soaked flight uh, levels at descent rates. Well, uh, don't give them time to warm up for if they need that power to flare. You're, the fuel is going to be cold soaked anyway. That's right. um, re- regardless of how quickly they come or how slowly they come down. Um, the question is, can I, they worm in the lines? Yeah. It's, or do they, can uh, they put in more additive that they just hesitate to because it's more expensive than fuel right now? and But they might have to bite May or may not be more expensive than fuel right yeah, now. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, uh, I bet the folks at Prest have kept an eye on the relationship between their additive and, and kerosene. Yeah, but I bet comment, that's true, Dave. A, a, a comment I, I about like uh, you know, kind of gradual power reductions. 
uh, for Lance. Sometimes, you know, you have to be ready to go into a shorter field and be, you know, more of a backside of the power curve approach. And Especially I think, with a Munich. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Hey, I'll jump in on, on James' behalf, even with a Comanche. No, I mean, hey, I've I've gone into Dead Cow International and I have no right. problem. But but uh, you've got to be able to do that, and so I I think you know to to not have that in your bag of tricks, even if you've got a long runway, and, and well, I guess you could just practice doing that, but decide to land halfway down. But I think sometimes you you know you have to you shouldn't be. Uh, you know, reducing power gradually, but you need to bring it in slow and, and then bring the power and keep you at a, a speed, you know, mm-hmm. so you can chop it and get in. Well, there's the ultralight pilot in me that even in GA airplanes tends to fly a pattern at an altitude and descent profile that says uh, you're going to make it if the engine quits after you turn final. Right. Right. That's yes. that's all good and well, but guys, we're talking about a triple seven here. Sure. Yeah, that's right. And, mm-hmm. and the same yeah. rules don't apply. And, right. uh, you know, they fly a stabilized approach at a shallow angle, and they're doing it in a bun burger bun scenario, so that one follows the other, follow follows the other at as fast a rate as the runway can handle at busy places like Heathrow, mm-hmm. yeah. and. Uh, uh, and then so much of it's turned over to the automation of the aircraft. Yeah. That's exactly you know, right. And it's got to work. It's got well, to work. Well, it takes a little time to react and recognize when all the automation doesn't produce the desired result. And that's what happened here. I mean, oh, absolutely. the system worked as it was supposed to. It called for power when it should have. It's not you know, the flight I, director system's fault that the engines were. And is work. that then manually or does it automatically power up? It it's an it's an, powers up. it's an automatic power up, but the thing you have to you have to hand it to the pilots, like you said, it takes a moment to realize that something terrible isn't happening right, and right. they did everything they could do to get the airplane onto the airport property because there were a lot of other things they could have run into. Oh yeah, it could have gone much much worse than. Oh it yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know there was some really sane, very short order decision making that went on there uh, when the uh, uh, I think it was the first officer flying the aircraft actually. Yeah, uh, he commanded more power manually, and it did not come forth. And, and he turns uh, he to the captain and says, "Your airplane." <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he pointed the, he pointed the nose at the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to maintain, you know, flying mm-hmm. speed, or that puppy would have stalled way higher and uh, way uh, shorter of the runway. And I the promise you, that wasn't a pretty view. Away. No, that no. was not a no. pretty moment. Yeah, no, really, I see that, see that runway sliding up in the windscreen instead of down. <laughs> well, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And, and you know, at that point, I would rather have it fill the windscreen. Yeah. Because at least yeah. I'm, I've got the potential there of some momentum left. To transition to a flare, right? Uh, yeah. And and anybody that's ever stuffed a wing into a space way shorter than you can take off from and walked away will have an appreciation for the idea that sometimes everything has to look wrong to come out right. Yeah, mm. yeah. Here we better move along here. Um, 
Amy, Take I think drink. you put this on. You put this on the list. Uh, top five frustrations of aviation. We could be here all night long talking about this of aviation <laughs> for 2008. What were you going for with this? What, well, what was, actually, uh, it came. It came in an email from Aviation Today, and I'll, I'll chew them off, and then I'm going to just lay it out there and see what everybody says. Yeah, According to I Aviation Today, the top top five frustrations in aviation for 2008 are number one, sky high fuel prices; number two, pollution control. Number three, personnel cutbacks. Number four, global economic woes. And number five, recurring safety lapses. All right, guys. Go. Okay. Well, well yeah. price number thing five is, jumps out at me and goes, WTF? Yeah. <laughs> well, for starters, this is, not, this is not a list about aviation. It's a list about the airlines. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a combo. It really depends on where you go with that. You can say recurring yeah. safety lapses, and you can point at, I was sitting with somebody uh, who's afraid to fly the other night at dinner who said, but look at Payne Stewart, look at Payne Stewart, um, you know? Yeah. And I said, hey, Payne Stewart's pilots didn't do their job. And and I wasn't there some fault with the operator owner operator of that aircraft as well that it had not it had some problems with the pressurization system. Well, yes, but the reality of the situation yeah. is they took off without any emergency oxygen. Yeah, because yeah. oh, they yeah. did just check the valve on the flight. That would have yeah. saved most of those people's lives, but it wasn't checked properly, and come to find out, a critical valve was turned the wrong way. Right. Yeah, it was turned handle, off. But the, yeah. um, turned the valve, of course, is like you know in the nose cone outside the pressure vessel, so there's no way for them to get to it in flight. Right. Yeah, oh, you know, yeah. if if that had been me sitting next to these the, this person at dinner, I would have said, uh, "Let me counter you with Amy Lobota." <laughs> I, I had a really good retort for her, and she wasn't the least bit happy with me. <laughs> well, oh, what was your in the end, I told her, look, BB, the only way this is going to work is if you learn to fly, too, because you're not going to trust it until you figure out how it works. And That's she right. didn't like mm-hmm. that at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's You'll interesting. You'll feel safe if you become one of us. Assimilate. Yeah. Assimilate. <laughs> it's interesting. Resistance is futile. No, I didn't go quite far. Go ahead. Back to the 777 thing that we were just talking about. There was a... America West flight I was on eons ago, uh, on my way to Vegas, I think, and stopped in Phoenix, um, because that Phoenix is America West's hub. And it was 757, and we'd flown, I don't know, Dulles to, to Phoenix and and whatnot, and, and I'm sitting in a window seat, and we get to Phoenix, and he got like an hour or so layover. So I'm, I get up and to go stretch my legs. I'm, I walk off the airplane, and I happen to notice as I'm walking off the airplane that there's this very thin layer of ice on the upper surface of the wings formed over the fuel tanks. Okay. And I said, well, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, and, and there wasn't anybody in the in the cockpit to say anything to, so I just kept on going and uh, stretched my legs in the concourse and, and showed my boarding pass and walked back on the airplane. And there was a, a crew sitting in the cockpit, and this was well before uh, September 11. The door was open, 
I just stuck my head in and said, you know, excuse me, Captain. I'm sure you've noticed it by now, but I just in case, I thought I'd mention that layer of ice I saw on top of the wings as we taxied in. And before I even finished, he was pushing his seat back, saying, what, what, huh, huh, what? And he got up out of the cockpit, got up out of, the, out of his chair, and we both walked back into the cabin. And I said, look, look there on the top of the wing. And he's like, oh, my. And it was hilarious. <laughs> this is like October or something like this in in, uh, in uh, Phoenix. Uh-huh, yeah. He spent another hour on the ground uh, while he rustled up a de-icing truck. A de-icing truck in Phoenix in October. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. now, what did it? How did that happen? Don't it was the same supercooled fuel, and um, yeah, being at cheap. high altitude for so long, that fuel got you know well below freezing, and coming down. However humid the air is in Phoenix in October, it was humid enough to collect ice. Okay, but it, then most of that ice formed on the ground. It didn't. It, right? it, I'm sure there was some of it on the wing. Um, while we were airborne coming in. I was going to say, you would have started forming coming yeah. down. Yeah. I don't know if I noticed it or not, but I noticed it when we were on the ground. Yeah. And Interesting. We spent an hour sitting on the ground. I was embarrassed, you know. Everybody, why are we sitting I, I on spent, I, I felt like really about happy, an inch high. I yeah. spent a real happy four hours. I spent a real happy four hours at uh, an airport in Indiana uh, with the airplane sitting in a heated hangar mm-hmm. because it was October. And I came out to the airport and had an inch of ice from fog overnight. It dropped below freezing, and it was foggy. Mm-hmm. That happened. And the scenery was just bloody spectacular. The trees and the telephone lines and a little Comanche 180 that looked like if you put a stick up the tail cone and flavored it lime, <laughs> you know, it would have been ready to go. And... <laughs> Yeah, I know. I don't want to think uh, about that. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, went, I went into the op shack, and uh, I couldn't get the luggage compartment door open. Yeah. Okay, it was a fuselage, the wings, the vertical stab, everything was iced over to mm. the point of, and it didn't break off when they towed it into the heated hangar. And I went in and asked about getting de-iced, and it's like, it's early October. We don't usually have a de-icing rig out yeah. until December. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the best we can do is put you in a warm hangar and wait for it to melt off. It took four hours. Yeah, hmm. it's definitely getting to be that time of year. It's getting a little chilly at night up here already. So. Uh, yeah. Oh, don't rub it in. Yeah, I don't, we, don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Well, well listen, these, these top five, I'm, you know, looking at the pollution control. I mean, uh, what do you mean? If, well, I mean... There's, there's a lot of talk, uh, especially with the heavy jet transport set, about um, the carbon dioxide being uh, generated in, in high altitudes. Yeah, and, high uh, altitudes. you know, we talk about contrails, we whatever. Um, a lot of people are very growing concerned that jet aircraft operating in in the cruise configurations are are spewing too much uh green too many greenhouse gases into the atmosphere um and what to do about it um there's no solution yet well right now the popular the the popular line is on on what they call uh, uh carbon trading 
Yeah. Carbon yeah, offset. Carbon offset. Cool. You, carbon, you pay, carbon offset. You pay money you to offset your that. carbon and turn in objects that offset the carbon. No, it that's the, that's bull. It doesn't I, work. I, and I, and I'm going to go out on the line. line and I'm, at, okay, hang on one at a time, Amy. Okay, I'm going to go out on a line, and I'm going to say that the whole thing about the about the excessive global warming because of of throwing the carbon out there right into the right into the uh, ozone layer. But the reality is, there's also something called global dimming because of the contrails, right? And creating more yeah. clouds and actually cooling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What well, now? James, you were going to say something. Well, I was just going to say having. Uh, written first of all, pollution control. I, I thought that this was more at the GAN, and certainly yeah. I understand this because uh, from my you know from my flying, I don't run into pollution control uh, issues now. Maybe I'm paying a little more at the pump because they've had to install some kind of capture mechanism or something like that, which uh, you know I, I'm not opposed to. But in the the offsets. I have written about them and different programs, and it seems to make sense. And if you do, you believe, first of all, in Europe, they're much farther along in yeah. kind of concern about this and yeah. in beginning to address it, and it's carbon dioxide and also nitrogen oxide that they're concerned about. Uh, the newer generation of turbine engines dramatically lower the uh, discharge of what we call greenhouse gases, and they're more fuel right. efficient. So clearly, there you know, there's a transition. It's not happening overnight, but uh, I think you know, I think of that as a possible success story. Although I am concerned about the issues raised about contrails and about even if it's reduced gases, what if any uh, increased impact because of the high altitude they're released at. So, you know, this is a concern, but I, you know, it, it's like, well, um, and, and I, I don't know if the science is, this is, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to say, I don't know if the science is really uh, uh, mature on high altitude release of carbon dioxide and, and the, uh, um, the, the contrails, et cetera. But the problem I have with uh, with um, carbon offsets is is that system presumes that this is a closed loop system, right. and it shouldn't be a closed loop system. It should be a zero sum system. It should be a, a system that you know is right. constantly being uh, um, uh, reduced in size. So I I, I that whole thing, I, I'm kind of taking Amy's side here where I, I just, I, and we've talked about this in the past, it just doesn't grab me, the whole carbon offsets thing. But, well, uh, there's something that needs to be said on behalf of a turbine aircraft engine. Well, absolutely. Uh, and, and, yeah, and David, finish the, this up and we're going to move on. The inordinate reduction in fuel consumption per mile traveled over the last 30 years of turbine uh -huh. engine use. Oh, yeah. Should not be ignored. And there should be a great deal of credit going forward, given to the fact that the whole industry has been proactive and done this great a job on its own. Now, admittedly, the goal here was to reduce the cost of operating the engine. And one of the biggest places you can have an impact is reducing the amount of fuel it takes to go from point A to point B. They mm -hmm. have been remarkably successful, and there's technologies that are going to boost this yet another 40%. We're talking mm -hmm. about burning less than half the fuel now right. that it took to move a jet forward 30 years ago. Right. Absolutely, and Dave. Down, and, and going that down. 
And that brings me back to, first of all, remember the title. It was Top 5 Frustrations in Aviation. Uh And that brings me back to fuel. And uh, there was a bunch of chit-chat today going across the uh, board of directors of the Homeowners Association here in the air park because we chose not to purchase fuel, even though we'll probably run out this weekend. And the reason why is because the price of fuel has gone up so absurdly in the last week and a half. Yeah. You made the right oh, because we're not playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you, you made the right decision. For? What's it, it going it, to? Right. It's gone up almost almost fifty cents a gallon. Yeah. So so the problem is why buy it if we can wait another week and a half and see it go back down? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, listen. Let's move on here. This is. Uh, <laughs> We're, we're all, we're and I'm, uh, I, I don't like hey, to see personnel cut back either, you know, no. in terms of the other frustrations. Well, so, the cost of fuel is an automatic. Everybody feels it. But, yeah. you know, if, yeah. as we're seeing with oil prices right now, what goes up does come down. Now, Ike is an additional aberration in an otherwise predictable pattern. And uh, when Ike's influence goes away here in another month or six weeks, things yeah. will get sane again and hopefully start to reflect the actual price of crude oil, which is down around 90 bucks a barrel. Yeah. All right. I don't even know where to begin with this one. All right. Eclipse has been in the news. Like, there's about 19 Eclipse stories. Some people are, sa- so, oh, so, some people are saying, hey, the whole Eclipse certification thing has been resolved and everything's hunky-dory and nobody did anything wrong. And then, and then separately we're getting stories that Congress is starting an investigation. And, uh, and I don't know. We can't spend all night on this. But can anybody just kind of give us an update on what, what's going on here? Well, Congress held a hearing uh, earlier this week. I guess it was yesterday. Yesterday, uh, the, yes. The uh, 17th. Uh, where they received testimony from the Department of Transportation's Inspector General um, on um, its investigation of the Eclipse certification process. Uh, Some, quote, whistleblowers, unquote, for lack of a better description, um, pointed out uh, in the media and to the the IG and to Congress that there were some Questions, problems, irregularities, and those are my words. First, they pointed um, uh, it out to the surrounding, FAA. Yeah, surrounding the, the, the Eclipse certification. Now, um, the, the, uh, the hearing um, looked at a variety of things. They looked at uh, a production certificate, and there was an ODAR and uh, designation for the law. For me, I can't remember what ODAR stands for. Um, there were um, certain other uh, anomalies, as they were, again, my words, um, uh, that people pointed out in the certification process. The punchline is they're saying that it was rushed, that uh, um, Eclipse uh, um, came in and, and uh, cut some deals with FAA leadership or management or something and, and got this got this rushed through. Um this is really degenerated into a kind of a he said she said kind of thing in my mind um there's nothing really fundamentally wrong with the airplane except they haven't really figured out the financing um and of course as i say this you know there'll be a you know mid-air collision with two of them or something tonight and i'll have to eat these words but um there's there's yeah it does have some teething pains uh, well, but uh, there's really nothing askew with the certification. Well, you the, know, the, 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 I'm sorry. Go ahead, James. Well, I was just going to say 
be that as it may from, you know, perception, reality kind of point of view. I, when I was looking at through the links and this story from the uh, the Wichita Eagle, which mm-hmm. covers aviation, which you could argue is one of the, the, when it comes to this subject, one of the premier publications for the general market in the United States, and here's how they sum this up in their lead. Federal aviation officials approved a new type of small jet Despite problems with the plane's design and production, overruling safety concerns voiced by government engineers, inspectors, and test pilots, according to federal and congressional investigators. Now, that, you know, that just makes it sound pretty damning. It does make it sound pretty damning. A couple of things. First. Hats off By the way, the, the Wichita Eagle used to be a better used to be have a better aviation section. It, yeah, than guy of course was. they had yeah. a Dave Higdon there working one. No, that oh, that's right, it was Dave. All right, never mind. <laughs> found Dave, go, but that's okay. Uh, I will, go ahead, David. Uh, I was going to credit him for one thing: picking up a story uh, from AP. That's an AP report from the congressional mm-hmm. hearing. Uh, the The bottom line here is that there's a lot of he said, she said going on. And there's elements of reality and supportable truths on both sides. A lot of what Eclipse points out in some of their fact sheet is accurate, but it's situational. A great deal, on the other hand, of what the FAA people contend and what the inspector general, which tends, you know, and and, and DOT is one of the better examples – tends to actually be independent of political influence, a rarity these days. Mm, might have to they, disagree uh, with they, you on that, but go ahead. They, they, uh, well, that's not true of all IGs. I'm singling out DOT at the moment. Uh, but the uh, the bottom line is there that we, we suspected this at, t- at the time, two yep. years ago, that there was some, if you know, for lack of a better word, deference being shown to this project by the folks at the FAA. Now, none of us would have gone so far as to accuse the FAA of any kind of deference to the point of what the people involved later accused. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the bottom line is that you know there seems to have been some things here that got a nod and a wink that wouldn't have happened otherwise except there was a lot of pressure here to make this program a showcase uh, you know the fact that the program took longer than normal doesn't phase me Cirrus took longer than normal and most programs don't go through an engine change and then a wing change mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the way that Eclipse had to uh, and an avionics showcase. change Yeah. well and that's still ongoing I was going to say, if you've flown an eclipse, you'll notice that one of the things that they're talking about is this, you know, reticence to use one pilot. Well, they, you know, they're working with a with a Garmin, you know, handheld for navigation. The thing That's is easier to fly than my debonair. Yes, well, it is, the but me, they have just, crappy avionics because they can't use what they've got. It's a 6,000-pound Part 23 airplane mm-hmm. with turbo, turbofan engines on it. I keep coming back to the reality that if that was a 6,000-pound turboprop or turbocharged piston or naturally aspirated piston, there would be no, no uh, 
qualms about its single pilot capabilities. Yeah, we wouldn't be having because this Because they could sell the bloody right. airplane otherwise. Yeah, and here's right. an airplane that's supposed to be single pilot for which there's a great degree of diversity of opinion in its suitability for single pilot. To so me, that speaks more to how badly this uh, than to some inherent uh, thing about single pilot flying IFR airplanes. I'm sorry, Dave. You, how, how badly, badly what? You, you got cut off. I'm sorry. How badly this thing got botched, how badly it failed, because we got a whole realm of single pilot IFR airplanes in the same weight range uh, and some close to the same speed. Uh, for which single pilot is nobody even raises an eyebrow about That's it. Right. And this airplane's got you know a, a big debate going on. Is it good enough? Well, yes, it is. No, it's not. What's the genesis? Of, I mean, what is well. the de- what is the debate? The avionics is- don't work. But does that well, so, would, what, so you need two people to or or I mean, is it just? I mean, does that mean it shouldn't even have one pilot? I mean. I'm talking about the one pilot. Well, versus that was two kind pilot. of the DOT IG's conclusion was yeah. that as a as a normal course, a program with this many issues, leave them it as issues, shouldn't have been granted type certification when this program was. So but, what could happen here? Let, we got to move along here. But what what could happen as a result of this? These question marks could the certification be re- rescinded? They've already I done would, a special I'd be certification. Really surprised you. If that yeah. happened. And and it it it's come through okay. I, I basically they're going to get a lot of bad press here, and this is. Yeah. Uh, I, and there might be, you know, some congressman or two introduce some legislation to to uh, require the FAA to do it differently next time or something like that. Well, but, the FAA and the DOT have already acknowledged they're going to do it better from here on. Yeah, well. Yeah, but the sure. cat's out of the bag on this yeah, one. They've already That's done right. this deal. That's right. They're going to do another special certification review. Why? I come, I come back to a lot of this is... Uh, it's internal FAA politics between uh, management and uh, some of the worker bees, some of the inspectors, people like that, uh, maybe even NATCA. Um, it's also um, um, some sour grapes, I think, maybe between the airlines and um, uh, Eclipse. Uh, Eclipse, of course, is, is being pitched as the, uh, um, the, the the end of the airlines as we know it uh, because all the middle and top-level management people are going to be on very light jets. Uh, and if you hear the airlines tell the tale, it's the end of the world as we know it. Uh, all these little jets are going to be running around, causing all right, these delays right. and this kind of thing. Swarming. Now you're talking, Jeb. Yeah, I, well, I really kind of think the airlines are behind a lot of this because um, they just they, they they can just because they can, well, and because they got nothing else better to do right now with fuel prices so high. And then may well. Be so true. a lot of this is political. Is is my punchline? It's 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 internal FAA politics. It's airline politics. Uh, and it's Hill versus FAA politics. I'm, I'm not arguing with the catalyst behind this getting the attention it's getting. Yeah. Uh, but I got to I, I got to come down on the side that one of the reasons why it's so ripe for this is because so much of it has an element of truth to it. And this is not to say that this is groundbreaking. There are men other times when the FAA institutionally, policy-wise, 
uh-huh. wrapped around the wheels of something that it wanted to see succeed. Uh-huh. And maybe, you know, uh, made judgments in a way that it wouldn't have on a more mature program well, or something rolling along. And uh, but this whole deal of getting the, uh, the unrestricted, quote-unquote, type certificate at the end of the fiscal year in 2006 and on a date that Eclipse had kind of prom- promoted, mm-hmm. then that's not insignificant. Well, this is not happen- it's not like this has not happened before. That's can what I'm say, trying to can say. Can you say Learfan? That's what I'm trying to say. Um, but I guess it's happened what before I- with the U.S. FAA. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's happened before with the Lear fan back in the 70s. Uh, um, happened with some other airplanes before yeah, that. It, it, but, it's a recurring thing. Yeah. And I come back, though, to the, the that there's really nothing fundamentally wrong with the airplane. It's gone through this SCR already. Look at the MU-2. Look at how many SCRs it's gone through. Mm-hmm. Oh, gee, many. True, and yeah. The, uh, yeah. the IG yeah. asked point blank whether the airplane was unsafe. He gave the correct evidentiary answer, and that we is they have no nothing. indications to say that it is unsafe. Exactly. That doesn't so mean dust- that doesn't mean that it's right. Yeah. So we think eventually the dust is going to settle. And I, I, well, I, I got questions still- about the whole thing here. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's outside the realm of the, the scope of possibility, not probability. Uh, scope of possibility that here somewhere before unit 300 hits a ramp that there could be you know 200 to 300 airplanes be technically orphaned for a while while somebody comes in and takes over a floundering company that files for protection and obviously has some excellent asset potential And the whole thing gets transferred to new owners, and then we renegotiate the existence yeah. of the existing. All, all of which even presumes they make it to 300 or make it close to 300. Well, they're 240, 250 now, and they're, they're still Anyways. easing out airplanes. So. Yeah. Jack wants to move along. Yeah, I want Taking to move a drink, along. taking a drink. But I, I want do want to know why they need think they need two pilots in that when you can, you know. They don't. It's a 6,000-pound airplane. And, and it's it's even without the the uh, 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 Avidine avionics, it's still very highly automated. Yeah. So what's the big you know? Yeah. You know. I'm trying to imagine Hawker Beechcraft over here selling a Baron, right? For which the Eclipse measure, was supposed uh, uh, to be a replacement. Yeah, a Baron and, or an Aerostar. And, and, and say you can a, have a Baron a for a million, yeah. one, but you'll need a co-pilot. I mean, in citations, you don't need a co-pilot for the lower, so, lower ends, right? Uh, CJ-1+, plus, CJ-2+, plus, CJ-3+, plus, upcoming CJ-4, yeah. Mustang, Mustang, the original mm-hmm. Fanjet 500 citation, what became the citation, uh, through the S-1 and the S-2 and the S-2+, plus, were well, all single-pilot okay, airplanes. So. And, and, and that's a very good point. And, and another point here, though, too, is here's the Mustang. It's It's out there. And talk about having been certificated on a schedule. Cessna is is a machine. They'll tell you five, six years in advance when they'll have a new model certificated and when they'll they'll start deliveries. And they'll hit it just about every time or beat it. And I don't hear anybody pointing fingers at, at Cessna. 
No, but uh, I got to tell you something, Jeb. Cessna's airplanes, when they come off the the assembly line, they're mature. They're ready to fly. And I have been in that eclipse. And I'm telling you, they're using a Garmin 496 for everything Mm -hmm. because they're not allowed to use (laughs) the avionics that are in the airplane right now. Uh And I'm talking about Dayjet. So... Um. Why do they need two pilots? Well, it's a very fast airplane that goes high, but you've, you're you not actually able to use the automation that's in it. And that includes so, its autopilot. So you need two people to control, to, to compensate for well, that, do you think, Amy? It takes, you, you it takes a lot to, to do all that. You need one person to fly the airplane and the other person to work the Garmin 496. <laughs> well, well in a way, so you know, that could be true. You know, that could be, that I'm could not, be true. Did anybody, you guys thought I was kidding? Not <laughs> so far-fetched. And yeah, the other thing is, and I'm not It I'll wasn't a joke. Here. It's a cute line, but it wasn't a joke. But wait, How is there an many? autopilot in, in it? it they can't, it, they're not allowed to use it right now. You can't use, use the autopilot? Then, then, yeah, then you do need somebody else to, to work the 496. I'm telling you. And <laughs> let me tell you one more thing, though, which is, in, in the defense, most Cessna citations are not flown single pilot. No, most of them are not operated single pilot. And I, 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 I concur with you completely. That that's not the point. Yeah. The point yeah. is that they're sold, certificated, and delivered as single pilot capable. I don't and have any problem with them certificating the Eclipse as a single pilot capable airplane. No. But I'm telling you right now, the way it has to be flown. That's well, the problem. Say if you can't that's use the autopilot, then you definitely in a jet you need two people. <laughs> There's no uh, question. That's, that, yeah, that's where I get bass awkward on this thing. You know, if you're going to certify it, ship it, and sell it as a single pilot airplane, and it's not capable, given the that's state weird. of the avionics and the automation, then it shouldn't be certified that way. Well, uh, that's uh, what everybody was has the potential. They, they released the a beta. They released a beta model as opposed to a fully fledged finished airplane. And I think that's how they now got in trouble like this. Now you're on to the issue. Yeah. We're all waiting for we the three <laughs> Yes, Jack. We- <laughs> now can we move on? Certainly. But it was, worth, it was worth that little delay, right? Well, Oh, Jeb. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, a heavy heavy piston twin with the same basic radio, I mean, with with IFR GPS and and stuff like that uh, is more complicated and harder to fly than an Eclipse is. But it has an autopilot. Well, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Not all of them do. I'm going to say, I got let's, let's move on. Let's, let's, let, let me tell you, you appreciate an autopilot. Of course, I love my autopilot. And that's not even going three miles a minute. I can't imagine going five. Okay, all right, all right, all right. 
All right, now let me move on from the ridiculous to the sublime here. Um, we're recording, as we mentioned earlier, recording this podcast on the evening of uh, September 18th. Um, and this is a brand new breaking news story that just came out this afternoon. Yeah, you'll have heard, heard, heard about it elsewhere by the we'll, time you hear it. We'll probably about have it more here. details too, but we will mention, mention real quickly that uh, news came out this afternoon that the Cessna Skycatcher, that's Cessna's LSA, a light sport aircraft, um, its prototype crashed this afternoon. And uh, in in a fairly dramatic crash, apparently uh, the pilot, uh, the test pilot, had to parachute out of the airplane and uh, did so relatively successfully. He was described as as having minor injuries. Um, this is from. And by the way, uh, uh, congratulations to our friends at Avweb for scooping everybody on this story. Well, our congratulations um, to Wichita's K A K E. TV. Yes, but of the aviation websites, typically you go you go to uh, to Aero News to because they're just you know kind of I don't know how they do it, well, but they're there all the time. I know how they um, do it, but uh, uh, good old Russ Niles at Avweb had had the story was, long before was, everybody was on the, tied into Cake Television's website. Yeah. And so the as story soon as they um, posted a, uh, a preliminary. Uh, uh, he headed up on the on the uh, uh, Avweb yeah. site as a the uh, just a couple uh, sentences email. from this. Just a couple sentences from this story uh, from Avweb. Federal investigators are on their way to Douglas, Kansas, to investigate the crash of a Cessna Skycatcher LSA prototype Thursday. The pilot of the test aircraft was able to parachute to safety and was reportedly taken to the hospital with minor injuries. Then jumping ahead a couple sentences, it says um, the television station KAKE is quoting witnesses as saying they heard a loud pop and then saw sparks and the plane spiraling down. The pilot landed in a field about 400 yards from the aircraft. So, uh, understandably, not a lot of information at this stage of the game about what happened here, but uh, it will be interesting to... Uh, what do, you th- do you think this will have any effect on the uh, Skycatcher program? Uh, what's, loud uh, pop was the uh, emergency exit. Okay. He was mm-hmm. getting out. Well, how do they, they they do they have some sort of device to open they usually have a they usually have a quick release door yeah. system yeah like like the 150 aerobats yeah. have yeah exactly where you pull the pins on and the, the hinge sparks and, well uh, the sparks that could be in a, a different question that could be I, i'm really hesitant to put much faith in in eyewitness reports mm-hmm. yes that um, could have been the sun glinting off a piece of plastic you know so, anyways, we don't know what's going on here, and it would really be kind of crazy for us but, to. You oh, know, but we certainly could. Two things: speculate. congratulations to the test pilot for yeah, probably yeah. what's his first freefall. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you know, and and his survival from uh, uh, a test flight gone bad. Mm-hmm. And long so, term, I'm, I'm I'd be doubtful. You know that it would be a bad well, effect. Is that what you're long term, I would be doubtful that this would have a large effect on their sales pool mm-hmm. because. Prototypes have crashed before, and programs gone on to succeed. Mm-hmm. It yeah. depends on how the company handles. Look at the Cirrus. Look at the Cirrus. That's right. That's right. And uh, if there's a company smart enough on the planet to handle an adverse situation and it's not Cessna. have it drag down the whole program, it's Cessna. And they've got yeah. a thousand yeah. orders. Nobody's canceling. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll follow that story, and like I said, by the time people hear this podcast, uh, there'll probably be a lot more detail One, in yeah, the uh, aviation sure. news. May I pose a um, question? Yes. Uh, maybe Dave would know the answer. So, 
for these people, are they wearing like the old World War II style parachute or do they train them now so that everybody uses those, you know, more of the rectangular canopy? What, what do they jump the, with? The, the most common canopy for a test pilot's backup system is still a small round. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. you're not talking about guys that are going to go out and learn how to steer a square. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole point is to get the guy on the ground in one piece. Uh, so the most common system still in use by, by experimental test pilots that I know, and I know several here through this little club I belong to, uh, is a uh, seat pack round canopy with vents so that it comes down stable and slightly steerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the the quote that said that the airplane and the test pilot came down only about 1,200 feet, let's be generous, say a part. Quarter mile. That's not a real high exit altitude mm-hmm. uh, in my thinking. Uh, yeah. And I only made 10 parachutes. They were all under modified round parachutes and you loved every minute of it all that stuff and they didn't have great glide ratios so if they came if the guy came Mm -hmm. out and and landed only 1200 feet from uh from where the aircraft impacted the ground uh my just gut instinct here based on nothing more than gut instinct is that he had a problem that he had little time to try to deal with and assess before he decided that it was time to go out the door and pull the handle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, more on this later on. Uh, quick bit of uh, of uh, of but uh, quick but important bit of uh, of podcast uh, business here. Um, I, some people may not have noticed this. You'd have to kind of look close to realize it. But I've I've been well aware of the fact that one of our listeners has been uh, been making some great contrib- contributions and helping out a lot with the show notes. Um, a listener by who goes by the handle Scoffrejet. Yes. Um, I think that's how he pronounces it. Scoffrejet. Um, and uh, has been uh, making lots of di- lots of interesting little additions and kind of cleaning things up. And I just wanted to say how much we appreciate that. I uh, wanted to kind of publicly recognize the fact that uh, he's been helping out, and uh, and I hope he does more. Uh, that's sort of part of the reason why we turned it into a wiki, so that uh, people on the outside could, in fact, uh, add things there and enhance those show notes. And so uh, our thanks to uh, Scoffrey, Scoffrey Jet. Um, who is apparently a, a local guy here from uh, Bill Rick Mass, according to his profile uh, in the forums. Oh, That's cool. very cool. Yeah, Thank, you very yeah. Thank you very oh, much. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Muchos yeah. And, and, and if he shames you guys a little bit into jumping in there and adding things to the show notes, that would be a good step thing, too. Hint, All right, I'm going to come up well, there. <laughs> this sounds like, hey, uh, like it might be a real good time for me to real thank yeah, okay. folks that uh, actually tried to contribute an answer to the quiz on my latest airplanes posting. Yeah. So what, now remind us or remind me what the quiz was. What was the what was the question or well, the, the, the challenge? The original question was. Uh, let me see. Okay. Here's the question: What's the first question a prospective aircraft owner should answer before starting a serious search for an airplane? And admittedly, some of the answers were predicated on the idea that somebody was still debating the issue. When Mm. my mindset, when I put the question forth, was uh, that the issue had been decided in the person's brain, and now they're in the shop. 
So, for example, wireless with two Zs, but his answer was kind of predicated on the debate, should I be renting or should I be buying? And mm-hmm. our good friend from down in Texas, Pilot Bill, got closest with an answer of uh, uh, about how much airplane do I need? What's what my I, mission? What's my mission? And the answer I was looking for was what kind of flying do I plan to do? Mm-hmm. So Pilot Bill got the closest answer. Uh, I want to tip my hat to him and appreciate him and, and, and uh, Wireless and our old buddy Champ Guy, who also chimed in with some comments of his own for uh, uh, taking a dig at this. And uh, I got the latest third issue of the month trade plane a couple of days ago. I'm still going through it, through it looking for the uh, juicy values in a variety of airplanes. And I'm hoping in the next week to post them again. And there will be a new quiz about aircraft ownership with the big prize being I open my big mouth and drop your name into the middle of uncontrolled airspace 10-something or other. And here's a shameless plug. And if you really want a Cessna 182, I have a very nice one for sale. (laughs) You're selling your airplane? I'm selling one of my three airplanes because I don't have two pilots. Oh, Amy, we just hate you, Amy. Jeez, one of your three. Now they've got their RV done. They've got yes. the RV. Say, right. The confidence in the RV 10 is growing to the point that the 182 is redundant. You know, Amy, you're notorious for this kind of thing. So I, I was at this Young Eagles event uh, last weekend, and I was chatting with someone. And I, oh, I know. I was chatting with a guy who had built an RV, and I was just talking about you know RVs and I and I and I made mention of the fact I said I said oh I have a friend and and she just finished building an RV and she's already got has a kit plane and and she also has a a larger airplane you know and I said and she's serious she knows a lot about airplanes her husband's an airline pilot and she writes about aviation and the guy looks at me and says are you talking about Amy Lowe? <laughs> <laughs> And I said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. And, uh, Sorry about so, that. So you're a little notorious. No, no, I think that's here. cool. Yeah, no, so, but, but, but it, is, it is a fleet, and, uh, and I'm currently looking at the 182 going, ooh, that's a lot of RV flying. <laughs> I need to fix this problem. So, yep, well, yep, yep. Do you have room for, in a hangar for all three of them? I do have all three of them in the hangar, but, but the problem oh right God. now is you have to move an airplane to fly an airplane. Oh, yeah. oh now. I the carousel. You've got a, a hangar rash that way. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah, here's the thing. Here's the thing. That's just When criminal. you got an RV-10, what's the 182 there for? Well, yeah. It doesn't go know. any farther than that. When you, you you got an RV ten, you don't need. Well, the how many seats? They how many seats does the ten seats. have? They both have four, four okay. seats. So so here's the problem. I I had to go to Cincinnati in August uh, unexpectedly. Uh, the RV ten was just about ready to do that, and we delayed the trip a couple days to get it to where it was. And I saved round trip. I shaved three hours off the trip. And a hundred dollars in gas by taking the RV ten. There you go. So that was when I knew it was really time to put the one eighty two on the market. It's a great one eighty two, 
for somebody. And, and what I've given up is pure freight hauling. In fact, it's listed on alarisaviation.com right next to a 206, a turbo 206. And my 182 has only seven pounds less useful load no. than that turbo 206. Yes. How is that, How is that possible? Leather seats, avionics, da 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 da. That airplane has got a lot of stuff in it, and my right. airplane, as a 1981 model, carries 88 gallons of gas. It's got a peepon conversion, so it's got the three blade prop. It's got uh, 260 horsepower. Whoa! It's very comparable to that 206. Very. It uh, actually. Is certified to put a child seat in the baggage compartment. So go. I gave up. I gave up sixty six percent of my ability to put bags in. I have more room for people in the RV ten because the back seats are bigger, but mm-hmm. I have a lot less room for baggage, and I lost about a hundred pounds of useful load. Well, and at the end of the day, load. Hey, my kids went to college. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about that. Is that the fact that your kids are kind of getting grown up uh, a factor here? Yeah, it is. It is. It, it, and so you, you start to, to, you know, we've been, we built that airplane over four years, and we kind of saw that timeline. And most of the time, we'll fly it with two people in it. There you go. All well, that being years. said, the first, first cross country was with four people and full backs. Well, right. you know, for, for years, Amy, uh, I'd talk to people they say oh that's a nice comanche 250 uh-huh. right because of the sound of the exhaust the three blade prop was so quiet all right. they heard was the engine exhaust and they just assumed right. it was a 250 and they'd say well you know if you had a 250 you could carry a lot more and the reality was to go the same legs mm-hmm. you needed the 250's 90 gallon fuel option right and i could do it on my 60 Right. And still carry the same amount in the cabin, mm-hmm. and they were right. always stunned when you'd when you'd tell them, "No, I actually lose about fifty pounds in cabin payload." Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, and I've got the true. same thing because I only carry sixty gallons of gas, so the legs are shorter on the RV10. Sure, but in so fact, what? I'm going faster. I'm going ahead. And I I averaged a hundred and seventy knots. Over the ground in both directions. Wow! At wow. twenty-two squared. If you, wow. if you you could What's do that in one eighty. You could do that, that in one eighty-two if you took off a third of the wings. <laughs> and the struts and a couple other things. My fuel burn was was uh, planned and executed at roughly an average of fifteen gallons an hour, two hundred rich of peak. Because I'm still juggling around with a with a pretty new engine. Right. We've got 55 sure. hours what, on it. What so. engine's in there? It's a Lycoming uh, uh, IO540B with an airflow performance uh, fuel injection system, which is I, I maintain and I maintain it. So yeah, my mechanic's going to yell at me that we still haven't got the cooling right on it. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. So, um, where is it listed? If people, if, if anybody was seriously interested, how would they they would track? They could uh, put the N number in to Google, which is N two one S J, or they can right. go to alarisaviation.com. How do you spell that? A L A R I S. Okay. 
aviation.com. Sounds cool. Um, quickly, because we are running out of time here, um, but oh, uh, what's the story no. with this hurricane story? Who put the hurricane story on? There's actually I two. Oh, I put one of them up. I put the Ike's Aftermath thing up. What's the story uh, with Ike's Aftermath? That is, um, has to do with the Lone Star Flight Museum in Galveston, <laughs> Texas. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll put a, happened? put a link in the show notes. Uh, they got pretty well hammered. Yeah. Uh, there's, they can use whatever you could spare, folks. Yeah. Uh, their website, which is www.lsfmlimasierrafoxtrotmike.org, um, is um, looking for donations. They've got photos of the of the aftermath. Uh, it's it's really uh, um, a mess. It's sad. It's a mess. They got the big hardware, the the flyable stuff. They got it out. The commemorative Air Force uh, is helping them out and housing uh, uh, some of the flyable airplanes that they were able to get out of Galveston before the hurricane hit. But there's a there's one picture in here of um, the fuselage of a uh, PBY Catalina flying boat and what looks like maybe a tiger moth or something like that, uh, a biplane, and something else. And it's all just kind of jumbled all up together wow. with a bunch of trash and junk in the corner of a hangar. And it's it's just very sad. Um, they're going to be a long time before they get back to normal. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, very we sad. Wish them um, James, did you put this hurricane help one? Uh, I did, yes. It, it, uh, What's that all about? Well, not much. Just uh, the I wanted to just comment how great I thought the response at St. Augustine Airport was to Tropical Storm Faye, which may not have been much to many people, but it uh, headed up the east coast of Florida there, dumped a lot of rain, moved very slowly. And it, for me, it sort of gave a, a picture of what, they would do at the airport if there was uh, an actual hurricane. They were very good about keeping people apprised on the web with updates on what was happening in terms of when they would be closing the airport and weather expected. And then I got a call on the phone uh, from Cindy Hollingsworth there, who's uh, the operations manager, I guess, saying, hey, we know you're in one of the older hangars. Uh, If your plane's in there, if you'd like, we can move it to one of the vacant, newer, stronger hangars. And in fact, my plane isn't there, but I thought that was uh, really nice of them to be yep. that proactive uh, and Absolutely, be such yeah. a so supportive and helpful. So just wanted That's to bring that up. That's great. Yeah. 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 Well, it's time to put a fork in this thing. Anybody got any other, other shout-outs here? Uh, I love you all! <laughs> here, okay. Here's to the next 100, man. Indeed. Here's the next 100. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. See what yeah, you've done? Congratulations. Yeah. Arms twisted. This has become a uh, necessary ritual in my week. Congratulations to, to uh, well, especially to Dave, Jeb, and Jack, but uh, also I, it's great. Well, to, to, to you two also. People. Thank you, James. Oh. You two are very, uh, you guys have become a very important part of this. We appreciate yeah. it. Well, thank but, you. But, and but, James and Amy and Randy Defoe. Uh-huh. And all the guests that have come on all the time, so many times. Oh, but at the end of the day, my hat's really our Jack H. Because well, oh, absolutely, no Jack, Jack, you've done a like good, good Jack thing. Jack another name, Jack. another name to throw in there, though, guys, is is Rick Reynolds, who absolutely. Rick Reynolds, Rick Reynolds, uh, Rick put us all together, right. yeah. And well, and Fareed and Dave Schalter yeah. and all that. But at the end of the day, all paths trace back to our Jack H. 
He's going to pop back. There you go. I appreciate it. It's been a blast. I'm having a good time. And, uh, ooh, thank you, Frank. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know what uh, that was. Well, all, all, we're not done yet. All we're my not done yet. But we are done. here that it's Jack's fault. So we're cool. <laughs> That's right. We are done for today. James Winbrand, thank you. James my pleasure. James is an author and aviation journalist and a musician. And uh, you can just Google his name or search for him on Amazon if you want to learn about all his great writing and his books and so forth. Amy Laboda is a freelance aviation writer and the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine. You can learn more about Amy and her work at wai.org slash magazine. Jeb Burnside, an aviation journalist, is currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Learn more about Jeb at jebburnside.com, aviationsafetymagazine.com, or avweb.com. Dave Hig- it's a long list tonight. Dave Higdon. <laughs> Dave, Higdon. <laughs> Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer. He's also a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Learn more about Dave and his work at kitplanes.com, avbuyer.com, slash worldaircraftsales, or aea.net, or just Google his name, and you can learn a lot about his, his writing. I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, freelance S. writer, and S. <laughs> a free, a, a, I am Jack Hodgson, <laughs> a private pilot. I just take two, <laughs> take two. Our Jack I'm H. Jack Hodgson, <laughs> a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. And join us all at our own at the uncontrolledairspace.com website, uh, where we've got uh, the uh, the forums and the wiki and the blog is about to come back to life. A new homepage. New homepage. Oh my God! The new homepage just went up today. That's right. So, anyways, that's certainly enough talking. Let's just get out there and go flying. <laughs> <laughs>